And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So I'm sure, after years of listening, you realize that this is a conversational podcast. Now, some of you may not know this, but that does not come very naturally to me. It's an extraordinarily difficult skill that took me time to cultivate. And as you can also tell, there is room for growth. And I realize this, which is why I've brought on the show Deborah Fine, who is a master of small talk. As a matter of fact, she wrote the book, which is called The Fine Art of Small Talk. And we're going to talk about that today, hopefully make me a little bit better, but maybe even help you a little bit too, which is always the, what I want to always be the case on this show. So without further ado, Deborah Fine, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, here's the interesting thing about talking to you is, you know, one of your cardinal rules is that you have to do research before you go to a, even a dinner party or something like that for small talk. Uh, so I've done quite a bit of research on you. Here's the irony. There's no one-on-one interviews. You're the master of small talk and no one has done a one-on-one interview with you. They're mostly lectures. What's going on there, Deborah? Well, that's because that's what you're seeing on YouTube. I mean, not to, th- to throw out somebody who I'm sure you've heard of, The Art of Manliness as a podcast. And he did a fat, I mean, he was, it was amazing the reach that he had. So I've done an interview with him and I felt pretty flattered that he found me. Um, but I've done a lot of interviews on the Today Show and on CNN. So I don't know what you're talking about, actually. Maybe it's a different Deborah Fine. Um, but on, on, on you, on, there isn't, there are yeah. a couple others. Trust me, I know that because I own the domain. But, uh, they, they, um, it, it is po- on YouTube. I don't put this most of the, although art of manliness, I did put on my website because it was such a big deal. Do you know, Brett? I, I don't. Um, but you know, I think everyone could be a little more manly, I guess. I mean, in this day and age, right? I mean, I'm manly enough. Thank you. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is that I normally have the leverage, you know, I do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of research. Um, and, and the conceit of the show is an interesting conversation, but and yet you are the master of small talk, uh, of initiating conversations. So I feel a little bit under the microscope. I'm not going to lie to you. So what would you do to make me feel a little more at ease in this conversation? Well, it's so great that you would even ask that question because although that's not an icebreaker, I'm not about, I will give you icebreakers if you want them or mm-hmm. the best ways to launch conversations or keep them sure. going. Um, your question is is sort of a theme of all the work that I do, and I call it assuming the burden. And so what you're asking is, how, Deborah, how do I assume the burden and make my guests feel comfortable? In essence, because the goal is to get a good interview, and the, you're more likely to get a better interview, the more comfortable they feel with you. Mm-hmm. And I say when you sit at a table of eight, when you walk down the hall, when you're mingling, when you're networking, when you're on a date, when you're at a job interview, here's your goal. Assume the burden of the other person's comfort. If you make them feel comfortable when they're with you, they'll feel good about you. It, and, and it's not schmooze like, oh, hey, Daniel, that shirt, that striped shirt, I really like that. That's schmooze. Okay. Making someone feel comfortable, assuming that burden is meaning that you, like you said originally, uh, I, don't, I would never say you have to mm-hmm. because it's quite a burden, but uh, right. a, a negative. But I would right. say um, it's in your best interest to do a little preparation before walking into any event, uh, getting on a virtual call, doing anything so that you know something about the person or to remind right. yourself of what you do know about them. Right. Uh, remember when I said that you, I didn't see a lot of one-on-one interviews with you and then you said yeah. you didn't know what I was talking about? <laughs> that didn't make me feel very comfortable, Deborah. Uh, that was that was you breaking your rules here. But I like well, it. I like wait, it's well, avant garde. I'm also as you as you reference. I used to be an engineer. I'm sort of a yeah. black and white person. That's probably yeah. a bad thing. But I mean, when I feel good with somebody, like, and I do feel great with you, despite what we've just gone through together, this ordeal to be together. But it, it's, it seems yeah. like it may be worth it. So, what I I like to be direct, you know, and I I, I am slightly 
flabbergasted. I mean, I'm dying to get on Google right now and go, what do you mean there's no one-on-one? What? 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 But it's so irrelevant that it doesn't matter. But I, so I did push back. You're right. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I, but I love that you mentioned being an engineer because I think that that's key to a lot of this stuff. Um, because your story is really fascinating. And, and I want to get into like how you got into... You use the word fascinating on fascinating nouns. Isn't that... that I, I mean, so, do you so, just throw that word around, Daniel, because too it's much. your brand? Oh, you do? Okay. I, I probably throw it around too much. I should probably invest in a thesaurus. I've been given that criticism before, uh, so I will Well, keep... I'm not criticizing you. I just felt like I really felt worthy because that's in your <laughs> you brand. <laughs> yeah, no, not you criticizing me. Other people have, and, you know, they're probably right. I could mix it up a little bit, but I like to throw it in. But but in truth, I, I found your story to be incredibly fascinating. But one thing I have to say, you know, since uh, I, I want to be a target here, and I felt like a dope, and I feel like if I put myself in the dopey position, we're going to be on better footing here, uh, because you wrote the book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. I did. I was watching one of your. I was watching one of your uh, lectures, not a one-on-one interview. It was a lecture, right. uh, <laughs> and you said that it's a play on your name. Your name is Deborah Fine, the fine art right. of small talk. I, That's correct. I did not pick up on that, and I was embarrassed not only by how silly I was for missing it, but how clever I really think that is. You kind of poo-pooed it. I think that's, inc- I-, I love it. I, I think it's great. Uh, how did you come up with that? Was it forced upon you? Um, or are you just a little bit shy and embarrassed about it being just so on the nose? Oh, I just love that this is my last name. This is my maiden name, mm-hmm. and this is my second marriage. So I'm glad I held on to my first name. And it's yeah. funny because my father, the dinosaur, um, when I married the first time, I took him to the airport and he said, congratulations, Mrs. Fill in the blank. And I said, Dad, I didn't change my name. I'm still a fine, just like you. He had five daughters and he, they kept trying to, to have a son. They never did. So I said, I'm not changing my name. And he just thought, he said, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay. So fast forward 30 years later, maybe more. I've got this book out. I've had it out for a while. My father thinks I'm nuts because I used to be an engineer and now I'm you call it lectures. I call it being a keynote speaker. But now I'm speaking all over the world. I've written this book. And so he finally uh, looked at the book. He says, I looked at the book, Deb, and it says the fine art of small talk. So is that our last name? And I said, yeah, dad, it's our last name. He goes, that's great. It's like the only compliment I've ever gotten out of my father with regard <laughs> to my whole life. Because yes, so it yeah. is. And you know, I have other books and they use the word fine in there too. So it's a very handy last name. Oh, it's incredible. Now, is there any relation to Larry Fine? No, but of course the Three Stooges is, you know, people, I mean, I wish, but no. As a matter of fact, the name, uh, if you don't mind me going off on another tangent. I love it. Um, when my grandfather came over through Ellis Island, um, he he was so nervous, so nervous, coming, fleeing Russia, feeling the fleeing the pogroms, he practiced and practiced and practiced. And they said to him, so what is your name? And he thought they said, how are you? So mm-hmm. he said, fine. So that's why it's our last <laughs> oh, name. Come on, so is that true? Really, it's not really our last, it wasn't, I mean, it is our last name, but yeah. he just it threw, he thought the officer said, how are you? So he said, fine. And they wrote down F-I-N-E. It's not even a, a, a part of our name. It has nothing to do with our name. So there you go. So I'm not related to very many people except my immediate family. Were you, do you, have you gone back and do you know what your, the original yeah. name was? It was Axelrod. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great name too. Axelrod? Well, yeah. You know, it, you fix horses and yeah. because most of our names, like where, now you have an odd name because in my, sorry, I don't mean to sound so harsh, but because you have two first names. Yeah. So what happens to you? Do people call you Glenn? Do they get confused? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's surprising. I think a lot of people, names are a funny thing. You mentioned in the book, you know, people like hearing their name and, and I, right. I completely agree. Um, but when you have two first names, people often get them reversed. So I've, I went to school with a guy named Glenn, um, probably shouldn't, probably should beep his name out. Uh, but he, you know, he was Glenn. I was Daniel Glenn. And I, we often got confused. I got called Glenn Daniels, you know, uh, but with right. people with extraordinarily difficult or ethnic sounding names, people get those right because I think it's a little more foreign to the ear and people put a little more effort into making sure that they get it right. And I think with mine, it's so easy and simple. You know, I think that can happen. But it is unique that you have a name 
I think so. I mean, what's Glenn from? It had to be a longer name, right? No, I think it was G-L-Y-N-N. So it's Irish. Uh, so it was my grandfather's name. And then it was, you know, kind of Americanized when it came over. So I think that that's, so it was like Flynn. It's actually probably pronounced Glynn. Oh, I'm guessing. I hope I didn't. I said, but I also, since we're talking about names and small talk, mm-hmm. names are important to people. I don't mean in a schmoozy way where, you know, I just use your name over and over and over again throughout this interview. But but your name is Daniel. And that's the real that's that's the key here. It's not Dan. And I, my guess is people call you Dan quite often without your permission. So uh, I think, you know, you know, what's the worst. It, I don't mind Dan. I don't like Danny. So the only people who have permission it's basically anyone over 85, which includes my my 96 year old grandmother who's still alive and kicking, um, and anyone who, yeah, that's difficult. I think that's about it. Anyone over 85, I think, can call me that. But people do, and here's here's the uh, here's the messed up thing, Deborah. Is I normally call like if I know a guy in my neighborhood, his name's John. I will always say, "Hey, Johnny," because I think it's funny. I no permission to do that at all. <laughs> but the, but he he laughs because you but you wouldn't so. if you were if you were at the neighborhood barbecue you wouldn't call him Johnny right it's just a hey Johnny kind of thing yeah I think so I'm I might because I do it so often but it I, I'm definitely in the wrong I know you know you have a whole list in your book about you know felony offenses in conversation so I right. maybe it's a misdemeanor but I definitely would get called on it out on it I think you are a great interviewer you actually read my book. That's of course I did. I got eight pages of notes. You kidding me? We're not even through the. And I want to talk to you about stuff that isn't in your book, so that people can okay. hear it. Um, and one of the things that I love is your journey. I mean, we don't have to start back at Ellis Island. Um, you know, when you were, you know, Jonathan Axelrod came over, uh, which is great. And I do a shameless plug. I did inter- interview a guy with the last name Axelrod. He went on to become a professional blackjack player. So maybe oh. if you had Axelrod in your name, maybe gambling would have been in your future. Maybe you avoided, uh, you know, quite a fate there. Uh, but let's talk about the beginning. You are an engineer, um, you know, a brilliant woman. You, you, um, <laughs> when did you, what is, what is that? Am I? It means uh, I'm not so sure about that, but go ahead. Oh, oh okay. well, I, I think so for a lot of different reasons. But let's talk about the engineering career because, you know, it's an extraordinary switch to go from engineer to small talk specialist because I have another podcast where I talk about pop culture science. I have an engineer on that show and I told him he should read your book. So <laughs> so uh, that I, my point is engineers aren't necessarily known for the small talk skills. But so what engineering do you do? How did you get into it and why? Well, first, can I just say something? I think you actually liked this today on Twitter. I, I don't I think that was you. A fascinating announce did something with me on Twitter today. But I don't know if you noted that Elon Musk posted hmm. – um, that, that was me. Small talk. I was going to bring yeah. it up later on, but you can bring it up here. Okay, that, that, Let's um, do it. Why, why is small talk legal? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I would say that Elon is the king of engineers. Am I wrong or right? I mean, in, in the viewpoint of, I mean, he's a gene. He is a genius. He is brilliant. I know. I mean, I, I'm not going to go political down that rabbit hole with you. I'm not, I'm well, not a fan stopped. of his, mm-hmm. but I definitely recognize and respect his brilliance and yet he is he is fits the stereotype completely in that um, he thinks small talk is a waste of saliva, which actually the truth be told, Daniel, is I I felt very I didn't think it should should be illegal. Like I wasn't quite that extreme, but I did um, think it was a waste of time when I was an engineer. When I was you know because why would you uh, why would you waste your time with stuff that doesn't matter like sports or weather? That's what I mm-hmm. that's how I thought of it. Mm-hmm. So. But I think to answer your question is so that I don't go back to, you know, the beginning of time is just to say there was a metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you read in my book that I lost a huge amount of weight and yeah. really changed my life. And I think what I expected by that, and I think uh, this is a women, a woman's perspective for sure, is that you really believe that if you are trim, that the world will come to you, that the reason the world didn't come to me was because I was not attractive. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I thought that, um, I would make friends that way just by losing weight. It would be like this magic wand, mm-hmm. but that is not what happened, nor does it happen, I believe. Um, and I, I had to learn pretty quickly that if I, all of a sudden I did desire friends, I did desire community. Um, I wanted love in my life and all that. And so I would watch people like yourself and just think, what are they doing? 
And I actually modeled people like yourself, people that were good with people, people who knew how to talk to people, who knew how to make, you know, you're very good with, you're vivacious, Daniel. Well, and I thought, how, what's he doing? Like, what's he doing? And um, I didn't try to be your personality because I don't think that's a really good idea for any of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, not your personality. Anybody. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, you know, and I, I just, I found a lot of success. And what, what I mean by that is I had a lot of rewards. Mm-hmm. I made friends, you know, I just, and then. I, I didn't I didn't quite have an epiphany at that point. At that point, I was in a place in my life where I needed money pretty badly. And I saw an advertisement for oh, they have it all over the country. I know in, in the Western United States and mm-hmm. California, they have it. It's called the Learning Annex, but it's lifelong learning where you can go take an, uh, as an adult, take a class on sure. Italian cuisine or auto mechanics. Well, here in Denver, where I live, same thing. But they were looking for teachers. And one of the topics they were looking for was small talk. I mean, <laughs> how it was random like, is that? Talking about, yeah, how random yeah. is that? Plus, yeah. it, for me, it was, what? Why would anybody else want to learn this? I mean, it's stupid. It's a waste of time. I just wasn't born with it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my issue. It's like being really overweight. It's my issue. Nobody else has to struggle like this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, you know, I really needed money. I was in a terrible place. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to go apply for this. And they hired me. And the reason they hired me, I know this now. I mean, that was 30 years ago, is because I can speak. English relatively well. I mean, it was that kind <laughs> That's of That's it. <laughs> no, I mean, I had to prepare 10 minutes. Uh-huh. I had to go in front of this little group of three, which it was so intimidating. I had to put on nice clothes and makeup, which I, I wasn't, I wasn't a makeup kind of person. I was a, definitely an engineer. I didn't care about stuff like that. And they, um, they hired me and I was able to earn $50 every time I did the class. It was huge for me, but the epiphany came for me was, um, first it was, you know, six people attended, then there were 12 by the end of the year, there were 32, whatever. Wow. And I got, but I, the key was number one, I got applause and that was like applause. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's and number two was that somebody in the audience said to me, Hey, um, you know, I'm a, the assistant municipal clerk for Englewood, Colorado, and we have a convention every year for municipal clerks and you this would make a great program for them now who would have thought of that right Uh, you know municipal clerks want to learn small talk i mean i could never have been brilliant enough to put those two together or anything together except engineers in small talk so um i said oh sure that what what do you ask i had no idea what she was even talking about she said do you think you could shorten that workshop in like an hour yes sure so what's your fee and she's i said "Uh, um uh what's your budget Mm -hmm. i mean thank god I said that. And she said, uh, she said a thousand dollars and it was in 1991. And I, I thought I'd be, I was rich again for, for an hour's worth of work. So that's when my epiphany came and I thought, Oh, the world needs this. There's, it's not just dorky engineers like me who are really overweight. There's all kinds of people that wish to improve their conversation skills. And there's all kinds of people that don't also, which is also fine. And and so that's really my story. My story is I just did a lot of research and I was really a professional speaker and a trainer long before I was an author. And then people kept asking to buy my book. I didn't have one, but I still needed money pretty badly. See, that's the thing, Daniel. That'll motivate you to do a lot. great motivator, yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I gotta, I gotta get a book out so I can make more money. And so that, that was... Really, and I think one of the reasons it has been successful is because I'm not sitting on some, uh, I'm not giving a lecture on why this is important or why you should do it. I'm saying, I live this. If you have ever been like me and walked into a hospitality suite where you were expected to mingle by your boss, and he or she says, or they say, you need to mingle, and all you want to do is grab them by the throat and say, well, tell me how to do that. Tell me what to say. Don't just tell me to do it. Then, then you're like me, and then you just want to know, what do you say to start it? What do you say to end it? How do you get through this? What do you do? And that's all I wanted to know. And so I just decided, well, I'm going to write the book for people like me. And it turns out there's a lot of people like me. They're not quite as dorky, but they're, they're, they're <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of people out there. Or they're faced with, with taking dorks out to lunch, you know, or dating dorks or whatever. whatever. <laughs> Can we say dorks anymore? I don't know. We're in such a, a tricky society. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, That's that politically correct. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Nerds. Um, well, what's interesting, You never. If we never answered what engineering you went into. What kind of engineer are you? Oh, I'm, I'm civil engineer. Civil engineer. So okay. You can see it. Yeah, Except yeah. for that part where I pushed back at you and said, I've done many one-on-ones. I've been pretty civil so far. You have so been. You are cl- yeah, you are clearly a civil engineer. Uh, How about you? 
What is your background, by the way? I, I, I'll I, ask the I, questions I, around here, Deborah. Um, my background. What do you want to know about my background? Well, because you are really, you were really whiz technically. I mean, despite the challenges, I, I was pretty impressed how you came through there. So what's your background? Well, I'd like the audience to know that it did take me about 25 minutes uh, to get us connected. So thank, thank goodness that it happened. I don't know if that would be technical wizardry, but I'll take the compliment. Uh, my background, I mean, it's funny you said that I would be a template because in a lot of ways while reading your book, I, I felt like a kindred spirit. You know, I mean, I think it's probably easier when I've read a book, I've done research, I've watched half uh, now that I've learned half of your interviews, half of your keynotes uh, addresses. And so I've got a wealth of information on you. And so it's easy to have a conversation with you. Uh, I've encountered people who are difficult to have conversations with, and I've worked on making that easier. But this is a very different, this is in a lot of ways an extraordinarily artificial situation because we are we are both performing for a group of people who are listening, which is very different than if you're at a party. So uh, while I accept your compliment, I thank you very much for that. I don't know that I am as good in a, you know, in a, a mingling situation. And I live in Los Angeles and being bad at it here is akin to career suicide. Oh my. Yeah. Well, let me address that for a second because it's really important for the listening audience, I think, in that what, what Daniel just described is he he's he's the interviewer. He even made a joke. He said, I asked the questions here because he, do, he is in charge. When you're in charge, it's so much easier. Life is easier. It's like if you went to um, um, university, then you're well-trained in what you do. If you went to a trade school, you're trained in what you do. We're skilled at what we've spent time and invested in learning to do our work. So so Daniel's great at what he does. Plus, he gets to say, okay, I have one last question, Deborah. That means it's over, Deborah. I mean, <laughs> he's in charge here. Yeah. Small talk is so different. Going on a date, going on a job interview, mingling, going networking, because we're not, no one's in control. You're not in control. I'm not in control. And that it took me a while to understand that. But I think that is where you know, there's a lot of confidence. When I stand up on stage, they say the number one social fear in the United States beyond death is the fear of public speaking. And yet I have no fear of it because when I make mistakes, the audience doesn't know. They have no idea. But if I, let's pretend, I told you I was married and I'm not a cougar. So everybody just take it to death now. He's very adorable, but I'm quite seasoned <laughs> compared to him. So nonetheless, I would, I would say, if, if, if him and if, if Daniel and I were on a date, but now we've done all this back and forth on Tinder, let's say, and, and we got comfortable, but that's completely different than face to face. And I'm nervous. And I go on this date and he goes, how are you? And I go, fine. How are you? He goes, fine. And how was your day? Good. And, and we're, got, we're getting like, there's no chemistry here. We're not hitting it off. This is awkward. Mm -hmm. It's because no one's in control here. That's where it's hard. That's why small talk is important because we're not in control. And um, and that's why, yes, you're a very savvy interviewer, but that does not mean anybody. You see journalists on TV and they say they're introverts because they're they're They know what questions they are going to ask. Right. That's it. You know, I love that dynamic that you're talking about, which is not unless you unless I didn't pick up on it. It's not something you talk about in your book, but in a lot of ways, it is the undercurrent, which is everything is in some level. I, I don't want to say a power struggle, but but having power is helpful in these types of situations because when I was when I was finished with your book um, oh one quick thing I want to go back really quickly uh, you said that you self-published this book at a time when that was not successful and the only other book that had done it was the Celestian prophecy I wanted to mention that because when I read that book uh, when I was in high school that was that changed my life that was one of those books that you read and it's the first like philosophical book where you're like, my paradigm has just shifted. Now, I couldn't right. tell you what the book's about now. It didn't last, but uh, I just, it was funny you mentioned that in the, in the same breath. Um, but, but anyway, so, so um, the power dynamic's interesting, but when I finished your book, what I really took from it, and I think this is the important thing here, is that it is really the fundamentals of talking to somebody which in a lot of ways, I think people don't practice, right? When you play basketball, which which I normally, which I do a lot, 
shooting over and over and over again, free throws over and over again, passing over and over again. You start, you practice the fundamentals so that when you're in a game, real time situation, everything comes more easily. And I think that's really what your book is good at is training people on the fundamentals that they may or may not have learned, which includes the, the unconscious recognition of the power dynamic between two people and the necessary and, and the, the, how it is necessary for someone to to at least temporarily take control of a conversation and then allow someone else to have it, like I'm about to do right now when I stop talking. Okay. Well, I think you said that very well. And the real key is those no, oftentimes, Daniel, no one is in control mm. during a date when you're, during a job interview, yes, but when you're mingling in a hospitality suite. And so we that's why being prepared is so handy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why assuming the burden is so handy. If you think about, I'm gonna assume the burden, of making this conversation successful, unless this guy is a class A jerk or abusive in some way, then it will probably be successful. Mm-hmm. Of course, as I say in the book, as I say all the time, is it do, you can't get somebody to want to talk to you if they don't want to talk to you. So let's say I was single. Let's say we're at a singles event and you approached me and I decide, I mean, I'll just tell your audience that you're wearing a striped shirt and it's orange and brown and and I would call it beige, so an earth tone. And what if I decide that that's like, what is that, 90s shirt? 70s, easy, easy. It's a 70s, 70s shirt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if I like want a man who dresses in a whole different way? I like sure. black leather or I like the black T-shirt, whatever. <laughs> a little scruff on his face. Sure. So, you know, oftentimes like at a singles thing, I might decide or even at a wedding where, you know, everybody says, oh, look, there's this single guy over there. I might decide because people are very superficial and they're stupid. They miss a huge opportunity to miss Daniel to meet Daniel Glenn. Go, he's not my type. So let's say you walk up to me because you seem very friendly and you attempt to engage me in conversation. Hi, I'm I'm Daniel Glenn. How do you know the bride or or groom today? You know, what's your connection to this wedding? And I go, oh, I'm 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 a roommate. That's all I say. You go, well, so roommate of who? Does it matter? That's pretend because I'm rejecting you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm rejecting you because of your shirt and the fact that you don't have whatever these my sons wear on their faces now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can get you can get me to talk to you, no matter what your opening line is. Um, if I've decided I want to talk to you because I like your shirt and I like your smile and I think you're very handsome and you're my type, as you approach me and smile at me, it probably doesn't matter what you say as long as it's not, you know, gross or or jerky. Mm-hmm. So um, here's the bottom line: is that when we when we think about small talk, it's up to us to assume the burden to start the conversation, and it's up to us to think carefully about how we start it, so that our because our goal is to connect with people, and that doesn't mean you know Larry David, uh, curb your enthusiasm. He has a great he he, he coined a phrase, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's um, he is opposed to the stop and chat. Mm-hmm. And I could not agree more. So what he's saying is that if you and I are walking down the hall, passing each other, and I say, how you doing, Daniel? You say, pretty good. How about you? We are not required to stop and chat. Small talk is for when you have the time and the interest in connecting with people because you either want to build business relationships, because you want to make friends, because you want to find romance, because you need volunteers for your organization, because you want to raise money, because you want to knock on doors for a campaign. That is when developing rapport and conversation skills pay off. Well, you know, this is a couple of interesting things that you brought up that I didn't think about before, but they're 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 these kind of like subtle things that go, they're kind of um, situational, but I think that they're also universal as well. And you mentioned that the two examples that you've given would be people on a date. Now, um, for the majority for for the majority of people, um, you know, it's heterosexual guy girl types of interactions, uh, and that can change depending on on your sexual preference. But here's here's why I'm mentioning that is that I think in some ways, as a straight man talking to a straight woman is easier for me. I think talk for for a man to talk to another man. Is difficult creating small talk. I think there is a strange dynamic that exists that is not mentioned. It's not mentioned in your book, but I think in some ways it alters the type of small talk, the type of approach that you could have. So if I'm looking to make other guy friends, I think that that becomes very tricky, especially as you get older. There's also an age factor as well. So while the dating situations are nice and they're good for young people, 
as you get older, everything changes a little bit. So do you have any, uh, do you agree with that? And are there any shifts that you can kind of make depending on the situation? Well, not being a, um, a gay woman and not, be, I don't know, but Fair I'm going to guess that dating for um, in gay relationships, lesbian relationships, transgender is the same as it is for us. And this is what I mean by that. When somebody, when I sit down to meet you for the first time or the third time and you say, how was your week? Let's say it's the third time. How was your week? I, I don't care if you're he, she, they, whatever. And I say, good. How was yours? We're not off to a good start. Mm-hmm. There's, there's one big reason, in my opinion. If you want to connect with somebody, you have to be willing to play the conversation game. So if somebody says to you, how was your week? Give them an answer in a sentence. If you don't have time for a stop and chat, but that's different than dating. And I think what I think what I heard you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel, is that it's different when you make friends. Like if I make girlfriends, I happen to be a heterosexual person and you are too. It might be different, but I, I, I imagine, I mean, one of my sisters is gay that, and I, I've been with her forever. She's married now, but she, you know, her dating scene was the same. Like there were a lot of like, um, frogs you didn't want to kiss. And then there were a lot of frogettes she did. And I mean, it's like, do you hit it off? Do you have chemistry? I mean, when I went out with my current husband, the first time I had a bad attitude, he was too thin. He was thinner than me, I thought. And I, blah, blah, blah. and I fell in love with him right there. And I, right at the first date. And I think the reason I did fall in love with him is because I was sort of stuck there and we actually hit it off. And that's where, what conversation can do. So back to just a tip on conversation. When you're with your date your boss you're networking you you're at thanksgiving and you want to connect with that person you have the time and the interest and somebody says to you how's it going how's your week how's school how's your weekend how are your holidays how's the project give them an answer in a sentence not a story not a narrative not three sentences just one sentence to help them play the conversation with you. So right. if, if I was prepared, because we had technical difficulties, it did not happen. Mm-hmm. But I was prepared. I'm not saying you would have done this, but more often than not, during one-on-one interviews that I've had many, <laughs> um, the person on the other end has said to me, either, how are you or how's your day going? Yeah. Now, do they mean it? Nah, probably not. They're busy. They're getting, you know, looking at their notes or doing whatever. Right. Um, they probably mean hello because conversation is so rhetorical. Mm-hmm. Right. Just in case you meant it, my goal is to connect with you because you are in control. I want you to like me. I want you to like this program. I want you to put it out there. So uh, um, if you had said to me, I was prepared. If you had said to me, how was your day? I was prepared to say, well, I actually went out for a five-mile walk today um, because I'm not, I'm not going to the gym right th- during this week. I'll be go- back to the gym next week. And that's all I was going to say. But I let you know I got outside today. So you could say... Either, oh, that's nice and get to your first question. Or you could say, oh, well, where do you live? What's the weather like? Or, you know, what, what kind of walk do you take? Do you usually walk? Do you run? Anything. Give somebody something to talk about with you. So if, even if someone calls you on the phone for the first time and they say, how are you? Say, I'm great. I'm really looking forward to the holidays. I get to see my brother. And then you stop. So now if I was, um, a, and I do this a lot with men. I know that all men aren't this way, but I read the sports pages, whatever city I'm in for my work, because if somebody says, how's it going? I'll say, wow, Phillies are really playing great. So I'm playing the conversation game because I'm in Pennsylvania or whatever, something like that. So does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it doesn't matter what our genders are. I think the key is, is for us to invest in assuming that burden of getting the conversation going, really launching it. I think my question was a little trickier, but it may be outside the scope of what you talk about is I just think that like if if I were to approach a female, I think in some in weird situations, even in a normal situation, I think there's always this question in her mind. Maybe this is just Los Angeles. Right. But the question in her mind are, is he chatting me up? Like when you say chatting me up in some ways that has a derogatory term. Right. It means I'm trying to make conversation with you as if that's a bad thing. Right. It's as if you found this person attractive, want to engage them in a conversation. But now, oh, he's chatting me up. That's that's bad. It's and I think that only comes from this, the underlying sexual dynamic, whatever that sexual dynamic, whatever your individual sexual dynamic may be, it can exist. And I think in some ways that is a strange hindrance or at the very least a hurdle that all small talk and conversation, even if you're at work, even if you're, you know, whatever the people you choose to engage with, that approachable person you talk about in your book. 
your choice on that person can sometimes, their perception of you can be affected by that strange sexual dynamic, which I find is odd. And it can also include, you know, me approaching guys is what I was saying. You know, there is no sexual dynamic, um, but some guys, you know, either because again, you live in LA, maybe they think that it's possible. It just, it can, it had, what my point is, you can have these strange external factors on on a conversation which are difficult to navigate unless you're prepared. That's more where I was going with it, if that makes sense. Got it. Got it. And once again, though, you can't control what somebody else is thinking about you. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe it's my need for control. Uh, maybe that's why I'm so comfortable, because I have to be in control. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just playing around here. But, but I think... <laughs> we're all like that. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's a lot good. more comfortable when we're in control. Okay. That's good, that's good to know. Uh, you know, so some of the things that, that I think are important... You know, you're, you have a step-by-step plan. Now, I've got it written down here, which, which I really like. And the first thing that you say is take the risk, you know. And I think that this is, in some ways, the hardest step for people. Because this is literally the act of going and talking to someone. But, you know, there's a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of things that can go into picking that person. Um, but I will tell you that I did this recently. I, I very, just two days ago, took your advice to heart, Deborah, uh, and it worked out perfectly. I uh, Normally, I walk to, um, I, I, when I go to a friend's house, sometimes I'll take out her garbage. When you go, th- you go through a parking lot and there's all this artwork all over, okay? It's mostly confined to one parking spot. So my assumption was the person who's in that parking spot does all this art. Now, I've really enjoyed this art. I've always wanted to meet this artist. And at a random time, I was out there at night. Um, and I saw this, this creepy guy in there with a, with a frying pan full of paint. And I made <laughs> took another leap and said, I bet this is the artist. I've got to meet this person. So I took some of your rules. I took the risk. I assumed the, the burden of conversation, uh, discussed with him, complimented his artwork, and it worked out beautifully, Deborah. So uh, your steps, your plans, when even even if clumsily uh, performed, can yield incredible results. Well, first of all, I bet that artist really appreciated your interest. Maybe I hope so. I mean, I, I mean that's pretty. I bet a lot of people walk by there and, and see. You said it was a him yeah. painting. Just say they're you know. Who cares? Mm. So right there, but yeah, but thank you. I mean, and that, but the key, the key is that we can't wait for somebody to walk up to us. That's you know, we go to parties and hope somebody will walk up to us. Uh, I'm invited to baby showers. I'm invited to networking. I, I used to hope somebody would walk up to me, and now I make it a rule before I enter um, the event, party, your dinner that you're hosting, whatever. I just tell myself I'm going to talk to one new person or two new people. I tell Mm -hmm. myself what the task is. And Mm -hmm. when you make it a task in those situations, it's so much easier. So in your case, you almost made it a task. You said, well, I read her book. I'm going to give this a try. On the other hand, I have a feeling you would have done it anyways, because you said you've, you've always appreciated his art and you've taken out her garbage. You're such a nice man, by the way. Oh, thank you. To take out her garbage. No, I mean, (laughs) It's not just the act of taking out yeah. the garbage, it's doing it at night so that yeah. she's safe. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, right. that, is very, that is very thoughtful of you. Well, I really, you, Deborah. I, no, no, I mean, that's, you know, people, that's what we need in this world, just small acts of kindness like that. It's just, it's beautiful because it's very thoughtful of you. Okay, so, um, but, you know, I'm really glad. But, I mean, I've taken the risk with people and I've gotten blowback. Like, just like, basically, look, you know, they looked around the room instead when I asked them whatever, or they clearly weren't interested in talking to me. And that's the way it goes. I mean, especially networking events. People, um, uh, I'm a friendly person. I walk up to you, I say hello, and then you see my name tag and it says keynote speaker author, but you're looking, because you have software to sell to uh attorneys mm-hmm. and I'm not an attorney because my name tag says I'm not, then you blow me off. But you know, what am I going to do about that? I can't do anything about it. It's fine with me. Right. <laughs> no, I, I love that attitude, but I don't, you say it so, um, simply, but I think that that's difficult. That that's rejection. And some people have a really hard time with that. It's very difficult, but now I've been doing it. I made myself do this before I ever thought about writing a book or standing in front of people and teaching mm-hmm. this topic. Right. I told you, I, I made it my mission for myself to make friends. So I would watch people like you. But then the other thing I did was, I, I mean, it's sort of odd now looking back that I did this, that I was savvy enough. To, I told myself, you're going to talk to three new people a week. 
I don't care if it's in the grocery store line. I don't care if it's at the library with the kids, whatever it is. And so I would make myself do it. And, you know, and I think I came up with that on my own because I had finally lost all this weight. And the reason, the way I had finally lost all this weight after a lifetime of trying, I could always lose 20 pounds, but so what if you put it back on and more, Mm -hmm. I finally did it because I learned how to jog. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when you first jog and you're very, very obese, you can maybe make it a third of a block. But if you keep going out, then you make it a half a block. Then you make it a whole block. There's rewards. Uh, it still feels like crap to this day. If I go out to run, I hate it. I, I'm, I don't get a runner's high, all this nonsense. <laughs> I'm the same way, Deborah. I hate running. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I do get results. I mean, yeah. I, uh, you can see me. I, I have results. I've maintained results. So it's the same thing. I thought with small talk, I sort of applied the same thing. Because in those days, I used to make myself run three days a week for 45 minutes. And the weight started not only coming off, it started staying off. It was very motivating. So I tried to do it with small talk. I thought, if you make yourself do this three times a week, maybe. And I made friends, Daniel. Hmm. I mean, they were just girlfriends. But to, to me, that was a huge reward. I just wanted girlfriends. I wanted to feel like I had friends to do stuff with, to friends to talk to. So I would tell anybody out there that it's like anything, any practice in life, whether it be yoga or knitting yeah. or piano playing, you need to put in some practice. You don't have to do 10,000 hours like Malcolm Gladwell suggested. That's to be the expert, the Wayne Gretzky of hockey. Right, I'm right. saying just to find success is to do it a few times a week. Yeah. And, and anything, baking a cake, even I live in Colorado. In this altitude, I had to, when I moved here, I had to learn how to bake cakes and I had a lot of flops. So <laughs> it's the same thing with walking yeah. up to new people. And it's, of course it's safe places, but it, you know, there's meetups now. If you want to meet new people because, for romance and or for learning or for just friendship right. or finding community, go to a meetup, but don't sit there and hope the gal next to you or the guy next to you or the they next to you is going to start, ask you what prompted you to come to this class. How did you get interested in ornithology? <laughs> it's your turn yeah. to take the risk. And the worst, sometimes I used to tell myself this, I don't need to do it anymore. I used to say to myself, all right, if you take a risk and say hello to this person, what is the worst thing that could happen? Can they harm your children? No, because they don't know <laughs> You'd have to tell them that and they don't yeah. know, so they can't hurt them. I mean, what it's, and you live in LA. What's riskier, taking the highway or walking up to somebody new? I'd say the highway, man. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that that's right. LA is a very different place. You know, when, when, a lot of the rules that you have in your book, I think they're universal unless you come to a place like Los Angeles. And in a right. lot of ways, I think people, I don't think they have it intuitively, but your most successful people are going to do this really well very quickly. And I think part of, you know, one of the things that I've always struggled with is that I came from an extraordinarily antisocial family, right? So, really? yeah. So growing up, I never learned any of these skills. I mean, to this day, I mean, I don't, you know. You do what you do? That's shocking. I, I mean, a lot of what I do is sh- shocking to me. Um, but, but no, honestly, but like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I could not tell you my mom's hobbies. I mean, I couldn't really? tell. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know my brothers. I don't, I don't know who their friends are, right? Like that's, it's, it's strange, and that's just how. But I think, like, in some ways, the way you grow up, it, it programs you in a certain way. Some people more so than others, but, but I think those early steps, if you are social really early on, I think that that's a measure of success. Actually, I was just having a conversation with somebody recently who was discussing this about her kids, saying that schooling's important. Tests are important, but at the end of the day, what really, what really is success, what makes you successful, what separates those that are truly successful from those who aren't, is the ability to relate to people, to get in touch with people, to network, to make them to have likability. And I think for most of my life, I'm not sure that I was particularly likable. You know, this again, this is a performance. This isn't my real life, but I compl- and, and I spent my whole like you, you know, I spent a lot of my life pursuing excellence, going to school, going to academics, foregoing social relationships in order to be better at the job that I wanted. And then you get to LA and you realize the skill you need is networking. So long story short, I got a lot out of your book and I wish this was a video game and I could go back 20 years and restart, but I can't. So I'm going to have to start from here and hopefully uh, I think it'll be successful because I think a lot of stuff in your book is, is, is really wonderful. Thank you, Dana. That's really good of you to say. And I wish, sometimes I think I, I have thought of that. I wish I had my book when I was in my twenties. Right. Would have been 
different of a different life. I did write a book, and I'm not promoting the book, but I did, one of the other books I wrote is called Beyond Texting: yeah. The Final Face to Face Communication for Teenagers. And and I wrote it knowing I wasn't going to make money off it because you you can't get you can get keynote speeches, but high schools don't pay money, so that's not where I. Yeah, yeah. But I just did it because I thought, gosh, if I'd learned this. Just to make friends, yeah. I would have been such a happier person. So, I, I think that's great. I like that switch. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about, but let's go into this. Um, your book, Beyond Texting: The Fine Art of Face-to-Face Communication for Teenagers. It's fine. You're on a podcast. Promote away. I do shameless plugs for myself all the time. I I like this idea because, correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I, we are in a very strange communication time. A lot of people have said this. I'm not saying anything new, but we are more connected, but in a lot of ways more lonely than ever. You know, we're more interested in the addictive nature uh, of our phones and and d- having conversations with people who are virtual than in in our own vicinity. Whether we're at dinner or in a car, uh, we're around people. That's strange, and I think it has a very detrimental effect on human communication, human intimacy, human connection. How do you, how do you navigate that? I mean, in this book, you know, you've got Twitter, you've got Discord, which is, you know, great thing. I'm on Discord, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, but it's different. You know, it's, it's not real. How do you, are are your skills interchangeable? Do you have to adjust them? You know, what was the kind of, what are the big changes you have to do? I think the biggest application of my skills today that's different than when I wrote the book, but different for all of us, is virtual. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, where a lot of people are doing remote work and they're in virtual meetings, um, I just in my little family of, I'm one of five daughters, as I told you, and um, before the pandemic, we didn't do Zoom birthdays. What? I what's I, why didn't we? We're all over the country. We didn't, have, we, you know, sent a card or gave a phone call. Now we do. So we have this kind of virtual interaction that we never had before. That's a plus, right? So, but I, I believe that you can apply a lot of these skills, not all of them, but a lot of these skills in virtual conversations. If I, if I'm the, I just did a, a booking for Lockheed Martin the other day and uh, for a leadership class. And I said, when you have a virtual meeting, it's up to you to get on early. So if somebody arrives early that you say, to them. So what's been, you know, what are you looking forward to about the holidays? Mm-hmm. Or tell me about the highlight of your summer. Mm-hmm. You have to build that report. Don't just go, oh, hi. And now we're you put your head down because you're waiting for the meeting to start. Right. We, we, you shouldn't do that face-to-face and you shouldn't do that virtually. And virtually we have so many pluses. Like, Daniel, if I forgot your name, mm-hmm. it's right there right now. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, so, yeah, right. And if there's eight people, wow, that's handy. But the other thing is just to say, um, you know, catch me up, Joe. What's new with the kids since the last time we had a meeting? So that's where you apply on Twitter or te- texting. I the one of the things I love about texting is that it allows me to say to you, "Is this a good time to either talk mm-hmm. on the phone, mm-hmm. or is or, or I'm running late, or how does Tuesday for lunch work?" So I find that very handy. Now, when you have these threads of conversation, you know, sometimes even from my own in my own little personal life with, especially with my kids, cause they're, you know, they're in their thirties, they're self-supporting adults. I'll think, what was the tone he meant by that? Is he criticizing me? Mm-hmm. So that's the only part of text. I think what well, must be tough on people who are texting all the time, if they can't read the tone or the tone of an email. So I, I'm a big, um, I do this a lot in my business because it, it not just cause it throws people off, but it usually works. I, I, if I get an email because you're inquiring about working with me or something, yeah. I'll pick up the phone and I'll call you. Mm-hmm. And if I'm lucky enough that you answer your phone, but even if you're not, um, if you don't answer your phone, I'll say I'm using the phone feature on my phone. I thought I, I you know, yeah. to, in order to try. <laughs> so I get, I usually get a laugh. And then it's like you have a real calm. You can talk to them because people just don't pick up the phone because it's so risky now. Because I might be burdening you or I might get a get you at a bad time. So. I mean, but as far as Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and I'm not on, is it called Disorder? Uh, I have to look it up. <laughs> it feels like Disorder. That's a better name for it. No, Discord, which I guess is Disorder, but yeah. Okay. Um, I think that, that, like you said, that's, um, you know, it's, we just put out there what we want out there. Yeah. Whereas 
even you and I, just me looking at you, like I'm merely trying to look at the, which is the tip. I'm really trying to look at the camera on my device rather than looking at your face. I want to look at your face. I'm vain enough. I want to look at my face and see how my hair is looking. <laughs> but what I'm really trying to do is look at the, the camera people because that gives you eye contact with me. So I, I think the, the, the cues we get in, in that kind of interaction are so much better than, you know, but, you know, Twitter, as you know, is I think, well, it was, who knows what's happening now, but, yeah. um, you know, Facebook and Instagram for promotion and, you know, and also I use Instagram to um, just just share a lot about my family, mm -hmm. so which I love. Well, this is you bring up an interesting point here because I'm doing the same thing, right? Like my camera is here uh, for those watching uh, YouTube dot com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. If you want to watch this interview, I highly suggest it. But I'm looking at you here. OK, so here's my camera. If I want to see you, here's where I have to look at you. Oh, really? So oh. it's a big shift, right? So here's what's that here's is. what's interesting. So neither one of us are actually looking at each other, and yet right. we're talking to each other. And and one of the big things in your book that's important, and I think one of the skills that just requires practice, like I mean everything in your book, but I think this one in particular, is picking up nonverbal cues. And I have, so I have a friend who is a nightmare to have a conversation with. Well, I want to quickly talk about people who are nightmares to have conversations with, but because he doesn't pick up on any nonverbal cues to end a conversation, let's say, but also gives off every nonverbal cue that he or she is not interested in having a conversation with you, right? Uh, and I think that those are really important. Picking up on all body language, picking up on everything, you lose it. Like I'm, I, I barely can pick up your nonverbals um, here. So I'm hoping that you're listening to me, but that, and my point is that's tricky when it comes to online interaction. It, it is because of exactly what you described with verbal. Although now this, like you said, this is not real, mm -hmm. but um, like, look what you just did. You said, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you said, mm -hmm. That's you gave right. me verbal cue that you're actually listening to me. But I mean, you've been listening to me the whole time, so That's it's very unfair. But in real life, first of all, your poor friend has no idea what he's doing, does he? I mean, no. uh, what he's indicating. And you're, he's lucky you're his friend mm. because – that's very off-putting. And I think a lot of people do it. And let me address that for a second. When people look like they're not listening or don't get verbal cues, uh-huh, really? Oh, well, tell me more. Or what happened first? Or, oh, good for you. When they're not doing that, um, some people don't do it because they're unaware that this they're putting off a negative impression. So most of us who are giving off a bad impression body language-wise are not aware of it. People that we all have seen people that look so uncomfortable at parties and ill at ease. Nobody does that on purpose. It's because they're unaware of their body language. Right, yeah. So um, just, you know, it really, it, it, it's very, it is off-putting. And um, there, there's just so much involved with conversation that we can do to make it flow unless somebody doesn't want to talk to us, but just addressing that verbal cues, like I just, illustrated a couple of them eye contact but you're right on a, a platform like this i, I sort of I'm an advantage i've made it so that my camera and you, you are right below it so i keep glancing down mm -hmm. but um but i'm not getting real eye you're right it's not real eye contact i think that's why our skills are so rusty daniel is that right now i mean it's sort it's become a little cliched but people are and it's trending that people are going out there and they're they're going back to the office and they're sort of uncertain how to relate again face to face. Um, I, you know, I don't want to take it to an extreme and all that, but I do think it's uncomfortable because we're out of practice, like mm -hmm. you suggested earlier. So, um, and you know, it's your choice, not yours, Daniel, mm -hmm. but all of ours. Do we want to lead a life that's lonely? And also, don't forget this: when you're in a position where you need volunteers, where you want to support your favorite charity, when you are looking for a job and need connections, when you whatever, if you haven't built that community, you can't just network when you need something. You have to constantly cultivate these connections. Not constantly. I, you know, Daniel, if you invited me to your house for a party tonight, I, I'm done. I'm almost out of saliva right now, right? <laughs> so I don't want to go talk to all I don't know your friends. I don't know your, your family. You say they don't even talk, so I definitely don't want to <laughs> meet your family tonight. And uh, so I, what I would rather do, my preference truly, is to read a book. I love reading books. I'd like to be by myself and read a book. But if I live my life like that every day, just because that's my inclination, I would have a very lonely life. Now, even if you're an introvert, it, you, you still like to connect with people. You just don't want to be in loud crowds with all that noise. I think most of us want to be connected. 
it's up to each and every one of us to to make that effort to do that. And and that's where the skills, I will, and thank you for recognizing this, Daniel, the skills apply, you know, this that I've uh, offered in the book, that they work, period. No, I, I think that they do. I want to give one example, because I think this is really funny, because this just happened with this person. As I had a conversation, they were gone for a long time, and they'd been on vacation. So discussing what they were doing, oh, hey, how was this, blah, blah. So I, you know, listened like you're supposed to do, engaged like I always do, uh-huh, yes, nice. And then I started talking, and this person, and I'm not kidding you, looked down at their sweatshirt, stuck their thumb through a hole in the sweatshirt, pulled their thumb out, looked at me like, hey, do you believe I got a hole in my sweatshirt? <laughs> like, had a whole situation with five beats with by themselves and then looked to me to interact with them sticking their thumb through a hole all while ignoring what I was talking about after honestly listening to them for 10, 15 minutes, right? And I think, I bring this up, not to, not to shame this person, but to say... I think there are a lot of people out there who believe themselves to be good conversationalists and in fact are not at all. And they might be, I want to quickly go into this while we still have a little bit of time because I think it's important. They might be one of your bad conversationalists. And, you know, these, what I liked about this section of the book is these are people you may encounter who will engage you in conversation that make it very difficult to have a conversation with. But then you offer counters to how to work around them or anything. And I love that because I think what people really want is if they, people are, when you say, what are people afraid of? They're afraid of rejection and they're afraid of getting in a situation that they can't get out of. And I think you do offer some great ways to get out of those situations. So let's talk about one of those people. I would call this person a monopolizer as in someone who dominates a lot of the conversation. Uh, how, what, ex what can you look for? And then how can you counter that if you find yourself in one of these conversations? Well, you can try to change that person. Okay. That didn't what work. I Next. <laughs> and, and typically it won't work. Yeah. You can't change yeah. it. I would have changed my first husband. I would have kept him. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. So, but yeah. I, but, um, you do try to bridge into another topic. So, Let's pretend I say to you, how's your vacation? How was your vacation? Or, or tell me about the trip you have planned or just whatever. Tell, how's work? And you just go on and on. And my rule, by the way, is if you talked about yourself for more than five minutes, you have become a monopolizer. Mm. I don't care if you're shy. I don't care if you're quiet. People that are quiet and shy are some of the worst, the worst violators because somebody's showing an interest. They're nodding. They're giving verbal cues. Oh, really? Well, what happened next? Well, why there? Oh, that sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. And they're still talking about their kids, their trip, their project, their spec to school for the MBA eight minutes, 10 minutes later. So that should be your rule. You're going to throw the conversation ball back and talk about the other person. But let's say somebody's holding you hostage going on and on, and they're telling you about their trip. And you say to them, this is what you do. It's called a white flag. It indicates to them that you're almost done here because I'm, I'm done. So <laughs> I'm, I, I show appreciation. It sounds like you had a great trip or wow. You know, it sounds like you really got to do something that made your dreams come true. You know, I, I wanted to tell you that we're thinking of going to Majorca and we da 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 da. So now, um, uh, uh, a uh, monopolizer will say, Majorca, you know, I was thinking about that too. Or they'll say, Majorca, why would anybody want to go there? Because they just want to hear their own voice. Mm -hmm. That's the person you need to get away from the end because the, all they want to do is hear their own voice. On the other hand, you can try that kind of thing. Say, wow, that's great hearing about your trip. You know, I was just reading this great book, Horse. It, I mean, it took my breath away. Have you heard about it? And if they say no, but about my trip to, then it hasn't worked. Try to change the topic. If it doesn't work, yeah, you're right. I mean, people think the most fascinating conversations are the ones where they don't shut up. <laughs> I, you know, right. We all have friends yeah. that show an interest in nothing about us. And, you know, my husband and I often leave certain situations, parties, and they'll go, and it's a game, you know. First of all, I don't tell people what I do for a living. I just say I'm like, I'm, I'm in consulting or something. I don't never use the word small talk or anything. But, um, well, what? And then we'll we'll get in a car and he'll say, so what did, what did they learn about you? Nothing. Meaning there's so much more to me than what I do for a living, right? Just like you, right, Jane? What did they learn about nothing? What did they learn about you, Steve? Nothing. They never asked. They never asked. But we heard all about their trips, their kids, their, I mean, I, this goes on all the time. It's, it's really sort of sad. 
I mean, I guess people need attention, but you cannot connect with people unless there's a volleyball um, going back and forth, not this batting cage where the ball just keeps coming at you. Well, I think that there's two things at play which are interesting. Either, um, like the person I'm talking about, I think is just an extraordinarily self-centered person, right? And I don't think that they give much consideration to people around them. It's just, you know, it's just how this person is wired. Not a bad person, but I don't think there's anything outside of their experience that they're interested in hearing about. And then there are other people, I think, who do this, who are really uncomfortable with conversation. And the, the, the people, everyone is comfortable talking about themselves. And I think that that's an easy groove to slip into where it's like, okay, I can talk about myself with extreme confidence because maybe I'm at a party where I don't know people or I'm at an event where I don't really know um, the topics or you know, maybe I'm going to be asked something that's going to put me out of my comfort zone. And I think if you, it's again, that control issue where if I'm controlling it and I'm talking about myself, at least I know they're not going to be any curveballs. I, I, I could be wrong, but those feel like the two options. At that, play. I mean, I, I think that's a very thoughtful comment. I mean, and it's partly being in control, like you've mm-hmm. referred to earlier, but I do believe that that may be what's going on. Nonetheless, it's not okay. <laughs> right. No, I'm not, not excusing it. No, you're right. Uh, but I, well, oh, it's not a way to make friends. It's not a way to develop a romance. It's not, I mean, you, you lose out. Mm-hmm. You just lose out. And a lot of people that are extroverts do that too. They just won't shut up. And and they do get people to cling around them. They get they have a lot of energy, extroverts, and people like to be around them. But it's, it's hard to connect with somebody like that. Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's hard when someone... When you're when you're wondering when someone's going to to stop talking, and if you're at a party, I think if you get cornered by somebody like that, it's difficult because in your book you also have a lot of exit lines. But you know, getting out of those conversations is hard because being in them is is really draining because you're always. I find myself getting really anxious of like, okay, when is this person going to stop talking? When can I gracefully exit? Um, you know, and or if you have to go to the bathroom, like, when, how far can I go before this becomes a medical emergency? Right, and I think you have to really have plans for that. But my point to come back to this, and I think the thing that I really took away from your book is no matter what situation you are in, I think in a weird way, it comes down to research, knowing how to get out of these situations, having your exit lines, having things to talk about so that you're not, you know, kind of put on your heels when you when you engage with someone, knowing how to, when someone gives you free information, which we didn't talk about, which is also important. All of these things require practice, but they also require sweat equity, uh, as, as the kids are saying nowadays. You got to put the time in, got to put in the reps. And I think that's important. And I'm not saying people don't want to do that, but I think there's a perception that this comes easily, just like you had. And I don't think that it does. So I'm saying you put the book together, and I think you can agree with me that putting in the time is really the only way to get really good at this. Like, well, like anything else, it's not, this is not rocket science at all. It's, it's common sense, but is it common practice? I mean, even you, just these anecdotes you describe of this fellow that put the finger through the sweatshirt or then um, trying to get out of a conversation somebody won't shut up. Uh, you know, these are commonalities for all of us. What you've described is not like, oh my God, that happened to Daniel. Right. No, right. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone that's listening to you thinks, yeah, that happens to me all the time. Oh yeah, remember she did that, he did that, they did that, da, da, da. And uh, so I would say it's not common practice. And so what do you want in your life? Do you, if it's like me, did I want to be trim or did I want to be obese? And I finally figured it out. Do I want to, do I want to cultivate connections for, for my business, for my family, for my, yeah, that's what I want. So what I got to put in the time. It's just like you, you know, you just so there's certain things we have no control over. You know, I, I know somebody right now is wants a hair transplant. There's, you cannot control that. I'm aging. I can't control that. But the things that we can control is the things that, that, and that matter to us. And I think in this, this day and time, or any time of life, it's, it's really important to have a community. Mm-hmm. You can have a small community. You can have a big community. That's your, your call. But um, to sit by yourself when you don't want to is sort of a shame, and then it's almost too late, I think. Yeah, that's um, extraordinarily depressing uh, way to go here. But I think you're right. If you don't want to be old and lonely, follow these rules. Uh, I mean, that, there's, or young, there's no better pitch. Or young and lonely. Yeah. Or young and lonely. And, you know, I raised four kids. And I will tell you that I put as the number one priority, you know, I, I said school, school, school. But I also said friends, friends, friends. And I will tell you to this I look at my adult children and they all have friends and they all, their friends make them happy. Having friends makes them happy. 
And I, I think it's a, so you can poo poo that all you want, but I think, and it's like what Elon Musk said about small talk, but I bet he has friends. It's just real easy to say small talk is a waste of saliva. Um, I, and, and to connotate that with small minds, which is, I think what Elon was saying today, I don't want pretend to, but I also think in his defense that he either has, as I, I read this about him, that he either has Asperger's or autism. And it's so much more difficult to connect with people when you, when you do have those challenges, it's a complete, you can't read people, you don't, you know, it's, and so I, if, if that is the case, I really get it. I still wish they hadn't let go of all those people. (laughs) I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, we are social creatures, and I think that there's an emphasis that should be put on it that is not. Um, And I think it's always a balancing act, too. I mean, I know people who are really social and, and, you know, are, are pretty vapid. So I, it's, it's, everything is, it's a balancing act. So, uh, but let's, let's sell some books here. I want people, you know, we're talking about this book. We got to get, get it in people's hands here, Deborah. So how do people get in touch with you? How can people get the book? Um, it's yeah. super nice. Um, and very professional of you. Thank you so much for being so thoughtful. Um, it's either my website, which is DebraFine.com, D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E.com. I won't tell you the other spellings, but I own those domains too. Good for you. But just go to D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E.com or it's on Amazon. It's all wherever, you know, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else where books are sold. And if you have any questions or I can answer any questions, the best way to do it is via the internet and going to my website and hit contact Deborah. And of course, if you want to find our show, you can go to our website, fascinatingnouns.com. And we've talked a lot about social media on this episode. We're there as well. You can find us on Twitter, Fascinating Noun, on Facebook, Fascinating Nouns. And of course, if you are listening to this on the audio only version and you want to watch the video, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn is the place to find us. And I'm, I'm so, I'm sorry because I, um, that we're wrapping it up because actually this was super fun for me because I, so I'm going to say something in front of your listening audience. I have been interviewed one-on-one many times. So, um, you know, there've been some very thoughtful interviewers from, and I won't even say, okay. And then there've been ones that have been offensive. That's a holder on radio disc jockeys that I at one, hmm. one or two, I actually hung up on, hmm. uh, cause you know, that were, it wasn't, they were vulgar. So I had to hang up, but, um, but many who were sort of dismissive and challenging and then many who were thoughtful, but definitely hadn't read the book. And I don't expect people to read the book. I mean, everybody's so busy, but that you read the book and that you took it to heart and you thought about it is, and I can tell that you're not BSing Mm -hmm. me. I mean, I just, it's obvious. It just, it's so, I mean, it's just been great to be with you today on your so thank, well, thank you, you Deborah. Life. I mean, this is hopefully this will change my life. I'm going to use put all these things into practice. Well, keep it keep in touch and let me yeah, know. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Deborah. This has been fantastic. It's been fun, uh, insightful, and hopefully life changing. So thank you for all that. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel G. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. 
Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.